Hello and welcome to the Deep Sea Podcast, Pressurized, a short, punchy version of our main feed that gets right to the scientific point. If you like what you hear and you'd like to hear the full episode, you can find it in the same feed. And now, to get right to the point. Today, it's going to be a bit of a PSA, a bit of a public service announcement, something I know we both get asked a lot and something I don't think people are giving enough support on, which is how to cope with going to sea for the first time. So actually getting on to the tips, I cast a net over social media. Nice. Just asking all the offshore people I've worked with, what are your tips for going to sea, particularly the ones that maybe aren't that apparent, but can totally change the course of of a trip. So the prep before you go, if you are sending your own site to gear, it's a good idea to put anything bulky along with your gear. So you're not limiting your own luggage. So books, a few treats, things to cheer you up. Anything you squirrel away in the bulky stuff, Alan, you quite often put like a, a warm jacket and waterproofs and a spare pair of boots and things like that. Yeah, I'll say though. PPE. Yeah, PPE. PPE. Yeah, you don't want to be carrying yeah. a hard hat with your carry-on. No home comforts, so we don't do home comforts. No. Treats. We're going to have a very different opinion on this because I know how light you travel. I know you just need the clothes on your back. Really good bit of advice from Grant was to go to the dentist. I think still the major reason for a medivac or a medical issue at sea is teeth. And if you're going away for two months, something that's a little niggle or something you haven't even noticed yet, you don't even feel, can get really, really uncomfortable. And without medical treatment, it can get horrible fast. Quite often, especially on long trips, because this is such a common cause for medical emergencies, they'll ask for a certificate from your dentist just to say that everything's looking okay. Order extra prescriptions. Quite often, you'll get your prescriptions at a regular interval, but if you're going away for six weeks, if you're going away for eight weeks, even if you're going away for three weeks, like plan for two months, you know, just in case. And it is a quite a high stress environment. So migraines, things that are related to stress have plenty of medication for that because chances are you'll you'll have a, a few episodes. I think the most important thing Tell your mum you love her. you go away. No, 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 no. <laughs> the most important thing is that even if the ship tells you it has internet, just assume that it A, it doesn't, B, it doesn't some of the time, C, it doesn't most of the time, and D, when it does have it, it might not be very good. So yeah. put your out-of-office reply on anyway. Yes, definitely bounce. Because the amount off. of ships have been on, they're like, oh yeah, it's full, we've got full broadband and everything else, 10 miles offshore. Yeah. And you've told everyone, ah, don't worry, I've got internet. And then suddenly you come back to quite a lot of irate messages of people thinking you're ignoring them. It's intense work anyway, so you, if you doing 16 hour days and then trying to juggle all your regular emails so yeah yeah, definitely put your out of office on and warn loved ones to expect no contact so they don't freak out Shall we go on to packing? Yep. Izzy and Grant recommended packing flip-flops for the shower. My only addition to that would be, and only for the shower. Don't go around a boat with open-toed shoes. But I quite like a comfy pair of slippery shoes just for in the living areas, but they've got to be closed toes. So I know they're terrible, but Crocs do quite well offshore. They've got good grip and they can wipe them clean. James said to research the electrical outlets. They'll usually be the same as the country the vessel is registered to. Pack a few adapters, you know, those world ones where you you sort of have multiple countries in one adapter. They're really handy and just have that in your travel bag. And there will be clean power on the vessel, which is more regulated. So that's for your delicate stuff, your instruments and your laptops. And then there is just sort of more general power. Nicola said some form of entertainment, which could be very varied. We've we've known people like take crochet offshore, load up a Kindle with loads of books. I gave a friend of ours like all of Game of Thrones before he went away for six weeks and he like came back with an accent. It changed him. So uh, a little bit of a world you can escape to be that books or box sets. 
just pack comfy clothes, hard-wearing clothes. The washing machines tend to be quite industrial. All of your clothes are going to be quite aged by going to sea. But I do reckon like pack one nice outfit. You might have a night in port. You might have a party on the boat. It's nice to feel human again. Annie said lip balm and moisturizer because the air is very dry. It tends to be processed air-conditioned air. Anything else, Alan? You pack so light. I can't think of anything else. A mug. And the trick is don't ever wash it because if you don't ever wash it, no one will steal it. So very you've got to make sure your mug is absolutely filthy. A distinctive yet filthy mug. In your hand carry, have one change of clothes because there is a good chance your bag might get lost if your bag doesn't make it to the ship. Tom, not only happens to you. It does, but it's happened like multiple times now. But luckily we had merch on the pressure drop, so I just became like five deeps branded as I wore nothing but the t-shirts. Anything that is crucial, so your laptop, your data drive, things like that, you should be probably carrying them on your person anyway. A few dollars. Most places seem to accept dollars just in case of emergencies. And bribes as well. Remember, there's a lot of countries which are extraordinarily corrupt, so it's sometimes good to have a big word of cash in your pocket for when you get rolled over by the local police force. Now that's really valid. I have a folder on my hard drive and on a pen drive called the Offshore Panic Pack, which is all the installers for the software I really, really need. So if my laptop explodes... I can still do my work because I've got the installers for the software I need. Software more and more is needing to phone home to like activate itself. So the new Adobe packages, they tend to stop working when you've got no internet. Your Spotify will only last for 30 days, which is quite funny if you go to sea for over 30 days because everyone's like, hey, I've got my music, it's great. And then there's a music drought at exactly 30 days and everyone is just desperate for like, did you bring files? Did you bring files? I'll listen to anything. So yeah, a lot of software, if it has to phone home, will like stop working working at random intervals like ArcGIS for example that, that went yes. on me last year I'd imagine uh, sort of SolidWorks and things like that are probably the same now as well yeah they just lock you out halfway through a trip and there's the only way to get around it is to get back online and even if you do get online quite often the file size and the transfer is so huge you'll never get it anyway and even if there is decent internet quite often they will block that at the sort of router level on the vessel because, of course, if everyone's downloading their Spotify playlist or their phones are updating and things like that, it's just going to chunk the whole thing. So some things, even if you do have internet, some things just won't work because they're actually being blocked. It's not lack of internet. It's because they're trying to manage the traffic. I just got to be careful it's not too patronising. Remember and take your toothbrush. My first one on the etiquette section is quite patronising, but it's something people don't do. What? Even if you're feeling really rough and you're really busy, you've got to wash. It's a confined space. If it gets to a point, you will be dragged from your bunk and washed at force. Oh yeah, I was part of that, yeah. Uh, we, we bundled a guy into his bed and sprayed him down with as many cancer deodorant as we could find. He actually wore the same clothes day and night for seven straight days. He didn't even get undressed to go to bed. And it was four people in a cabin on a very small boat. Unacceptable. Well, you're like Annie's one. Annie said to pack condoms, but be discreet because everyone knows everyone's business. I think we should speak to someone who's relatively new to the game to get their perspective on what it is like to be at sea and work at sea too. Not just be at sea. Proper sailor. With loads of experience in a short space of time because she's been at sea for, is it a year in total? Was it two, six months since? I think it's a year. We should ask her that. So that's a lot of experience in a short time. So who are we going to talk to? She's a YouTuber and she's been documenting her career at sea so far. And she's been already on two rather prolific research vessels, gaining popularity as a science communicator. She's a good lot of fun. So I think we should get on the phone to sunny old Kentucky and phone our friend, who goes under the name of Larkin. Today we have Larkin on the podcast. Hello, Larkin. 
Hello, hello. How are you? It is really good to be here. I am fantastic. How are you all? Uh, I'm all right. It's just the first podcast we've done from two different hemispheres. So, Larkin, first of all, tell us about yourself and about your double life as a tech hand and a YouTube star. So, um, kind of like my origin story is about eight years ago, I was working in Chicago uh, as a bartender and I was looking for a change. Like I, I traveled quite a bit, but it, I wanted to travel for my job. So I went to an open house for a cruise ship like a big Norwegian cruise lines ship open house. And I got the job as a bartender on board. And so I go to the ship, I go to Hawaii and I'm on this new ship with, you know, a thousand crew members and 2,500 guests. It was mammoth. I ended up working in the gift shop there for a couple of years. The whole time I was there, I was happy being on the ship, ship life, but I wanted to do a different job. And I saw the deckhands and what they were doing. And they were always walking around with like cool power tools and they were driving the tender boats and they were up in the bridge with the captain and all the mates. And it just seemed amazing. Like what an adventurous life. So I started talking to uh, these guys and gals about how they got started and ended up going to a smaller cruise ship where I was an unlicensed deckhand and then moved my way up the ladder, becoming, you know, like a licensed deckhand and getting my small boat captain's license and things like that. But my heart was always in science. Like I always wanted to, to get involved with the science world, but I really wasn't sure how I was going to do that. And it turns out like my side door into the science world, instead of becoming like a marine biologist, I ended up working on research vessels. And that was a game changer. You know, I got the backstage pass to be around these amazing scientists, which I like see you all as really like these rock stars. I mean, you all are doing these amazing things and discovering new worlds and new solutions to problems that we have. I mean, it's just awesome. And to be so close and directly involved in that experience was uh, such an amazing experience. So amazing, in fact, that I decided to take out my phone and start recording. I, I had to, like, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. I was walking around, like just following the scientists, like their little shadow. And I mean, I asked them, you know, are you, is it okay if I'm, you know, if I'm right here? And they just thought it was really, they thought it was kind of funny that I was so interested in it. And so I think that's a neat dynamic when you have scientists coming on board these vessels. Sometimes they think that the boat crew is very fascinating and we think that you all are so fascinating. It was neat kind of like bridging that gap and asking them if I could film them. And they were like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And really happy to answer all of my questions. So I start filming and I start making these little YouTube shows because this is all also during COVID times, we weren't doing as many cruises as we normally do. So I had more time dockside. So I started editing and making these uh, these YouTube episodes. When I showed the scientists the videos that I, I created, he was pretty blown away and asked me to actually make some outreach videos. And I had no idea at the time what outreach was. And as he explained outreach, I told him he was explaining my dream job. <laughs> Are you kidding? People get paid to like make videos doing this and I could get involved in this world? Yes. And so so, so I, I made his videos and since then I'm meeting more and more scientists and uh, branching out further and further. And now I've started doing kind of like a side business as a, as a videographer, science communicator. So I'm still a sailor on the ship, which gives me like a, a unique perspective. And eventually one day I would like to be the videographer full time and making these science communications videos full time. That's amazing. <laughs> on this particular episode, Tom has been wittering on about... Alan wasn't impressed. He didn't find it interesting. <laughs> I didn't find it interesting at all, but Tom's been wittering on about what it's like to be at sea. I've got Let's you. deal with the first question. Is, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. What do you take? For me, a lot of times when you're on these ships, 
you are in places, you're going to be in remote, like even when you're in port, you're going to be in remote ports. So all the essentials that you want from home, you're going to want to take with you. You're not going to be able to just like buzz to the store and grab a bottle of shampoo. So make sure that you have all the things that you need. You know, I have, you know, my, my Kindle, uh, I have lots of music and things to do like with my phone and my computer. Um, so make sure that you have like all the essentials, all of the things that you don't even think about, like special snacks or anything like that. So I also take things depending on how long you're there for. I would recommend taking little things from home. Now, this is just me. I like to kind of nest when I get on the ship. So I have like full on, I have little Christmas lights and an oil diffuser. And like, I have pictures and things that make me feel like, you know, more at home because you're at sea for a long time. So I don't know if that's for everybody, but for me personally, I like to bring like a little bit of home, all the essentials that I'm going to need for the next, you know, four months and uh, comfy clothes. Like definitely you want to uh, bring some clothes. that may be a little bit warmer than you think that you're going to need because when you're at sea at night, especially there's a lot of wind, you know, and there could be rain. Like the weather is always changing. It's very dynamic on the water. So you want to bring, you know, you know your rain jacket and a couple of extra layers. Even if you're going to be in a warm climate like Guam, you might want those extra layers. I can honestly say I have never taken Christmas lights. You're missing out. You're totally, it's a totally really? different experience, Dr. J. Oh my gosh. Really? It's like a party in your room. It's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because those rooms, right? It's like the bare minimum. It's really harsh light. It's really bad lighting, you guys. You want it to be, you know, like creating a warm atmosphere, especially like for me personally, you know, I'm out there for 12 hours at a time and I'm out there like in the sun or like in the elements. And when I come home, I'd like to open the door to my room and it's like this little oasis. I've got the diffuser going, the lights. It's just, it's, it's nice. It's a little bit of Zen, my little Zen den on the ship. Your cabin at your end of the corridor is very, very different to the cabin I had at my end of the corridor. <laughs> We touched upon how Alan copes with offshore and it very rapidly became apparent that he's not a good example. I just walk on as if I found a ship on the way to the shops. And then, oh, this looks nice. Yeah, well, this looks nice. Go on there, come back six weeks later and go, oh, well, that was nice. Some of the comforts that people sent in were, were really specific. So someone said that offshore pillows tend to be a little bit grotty. So he always packs a nice pillow. Uh, someone oh. else packed a comfy folding chair for just being yeah. able to sit and relax on deck. Our mate Malcolm Clark has a very special stool that he always takes offshore with him for, he does for working. that's only because it's the right height he's a very tall wow. man he's a very he's okay. a very tall man he's his own special malcolm stool but see those are things that they know that they're going to need every day so they brought them right so if you find that there's something that like you just like if you're a fussy sleeper then yes squeeze up the memory foam pillow and stuff it in the bag if you're a yoga person like you want to like stretch out because that's something that it has gotten me through uh working on ships like still being able to uh, get my physical fitness in small places bring a yoga mat like one thing that's helped me out a lot over the years is finding the Facebook pages for that particular ship. Uh, usually a ship will have a Facebook page and through that Facebook page, and you can ask them like, hey, like specifics about the ship. Like, hey, does the ship have this? Does the ship have that? So let me just write that down. Yoga mat, Christmas lights. Yeah. What I was going to ask was, what's your most and least rewarding part of the job? Let's start, let's start with the bad first. The least rewarding is it's a lot of dirty work. So coming on board as a deckhand, people don't realize this. They see a lot of like the glamorous shots that I put on, you know, on my like Instagram and stuff where I'm doing all this really cool stuff and I'm in these amazing locations. However, the reality is a lot of times you're just like a glorified janitor of the sea. <laughs> Are you saying that social media is lying to us? No, that there's good, there's good and there's bad. And we're going to talk about the good oh, okay. too. And also, and this is, this is my personal thing, because being a female in this world, there's not a lot of us. Every ship that I've been on has been different, but there's usually almost always like that air of like, there is like a 
little bit of sexism that's alive and well on ships. Uh, so that's something that has been, it's been hard to deal with, but it's also been very eye-opening. And I'm glad that I've had the experiences that I've had because I want to inspire other women and anybody who thinks that they can't do this kind of work. It's been challenging, but it's also lit a fire to make a difference. So that's been, that's been good. Now, for the good stuff, oh my gosh, like, like there's so many, there's so many. Meeting amazing people, getting to go to these very unique locations. I mean, I, I've been to places that people would only dream of. I've taken a dip in the water above the Mariana Trench. A lot of people can't say that kind of stuff. There's just a lot of like the experiences and, and the confidence that it's built in me to like, you know, I thought this was impossible to, to live the lifestyle that I live currently. And it now that I'm here, it only propels me to like want to go bigger and bigger, you know, and to discover more. And it's inspire more people. So that's been the the good, the bad and the ugly kind of thing. Brilliant. The other one I wanted to do was like a little bit on social etiquette and the culture offshore. Every single safety tour I've ever had is this is the mess. There's no segregation. Sit where you like. And every first meal I've ever had is, whoa, you can't sit there. So-and-so sits there. You know, <laughs> it's not official, but sailors are such, are such creatures of habits. And they've been on for like six months before you turned up. Everyone has their yes. own seat. So don't just plonk down yes. <laughs> because you were told no one has seats. So weird little things like that to, to avoid those faux pas. Social etiquette on ships is interesting. You're in a... You're in a very dynamic environment. You eat together, you sleep, you play, you work all in the same little world on that's kind of floating around on the water, like its own little community, you know? And so you have to realize that if there's any differences that you may have, like any arguments or anything that you may have with somebody, you want to take care of them as soon as they happen. Treat people how you would want to be treated. You want to keep good social standings with everybody. You want to uh, be a team player. I think that one of the greatest pieces of advice of social etiquette involves... Uh, vomiting in, in that if you're on bunk beds and you're on the bottom bunk and you're about to puke don't stand up and then puke into a bag at the same level as the guy in the bunk above you because that's one very quick way of getting a punch in the face which makes the whole thing even worse other things too like okay so you're usually sharing a cabin with somebody yeah. you have to be conscious of, of them so uh noises noises on ships, things carry so much further than you think that they're going to. So make sure when you're talking in your room to somebody, you don't mention anything that you maybe not, don't want the person next door to you to hear. Because I know that's happened a few times where somebody is talking about a certain somebody and they can like hear them. And that also goes for like slamming doors or going up and down steps, like be conscious of your surroundings. And also with the with scientists, right? Letting the crew do their job. I've seen a lot of times like on research vessels, scientists like wanting to grab at things are wanting to make the impossible possible because they don't understand like the dynamics of weather and how much that can affect what's going to happen on the ship and what the ship can and cannot do. If it's your equipment, definitely be right there with the deckhands and stuff, but talk to them, talk to the, your ABs, talk to your deckhands before things even start happening so that everybody's on the same page. Having a game plan is very important. Scientists might say, okay, we need to go to this, this, and this location and it needs to happen in the next like two days. It may be impossible because we may come into get weather, we may come into a number of, of reasons why like things might not work out the way that you initially thought. So be very flexible. And also seasick pills, the throwing up thing that you talked about, Dr. Dre. Mm -hmm. Yes, like that is, that's a thing. And I feel like we actually just recently had a bunch of Marines and Army people on one of the vessels I work on. And they were very, oh, I don't need to take any seasick pills. I've got this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. Like a lot of them <laughs> were definitely out for a couple of days. And that's understandable. Like if, if you're not used to it, just take the seasick pill ahead of time and it will save you so much anguish. Like, it's much better to take the little seasick pill and then you're taking the chance that you're going to be 
out of the account for two days, just, you know, hugging a porcelain bowl and cursing yourself for not taking that seasick pill. You can test it out a couple days into it, you know, and say like, okay, maybe I don't need the pill anymore. I think it's important to take the pill, but also to wean off them. I think yes, some absolutely. people, they get almost a bit too worried about seasickness because I need to feel ill for three days. It's going to happen anyway. So I'll take the pills to soften the blow at yeah. the start, but I need to get my sea legs. And if I take the pills the whole time, because they make you so drowsy, even the ones they say they don't, it make you so sleepy. So I, I think you've, you've got to at some point sort of ride through it, but you can soften, soften the blow. And here's a pro tip. Drink lots of water. For some reason, it's helped me out. Like whenever I've been seasick in the past, I'm usually dehydrated and then I drink water and I feel better. And I think the spot, the early symptoms as well, like a, a lot of people don't realize they're seasick until once you're at the nauseous stage, it takes a long time to reset. So the early yes. symptoms are a headache and feeling sleepy. Mm -hmm. And if you can have yes. a little lie down or take the pill, then you'll have a much easier ride. Once you get to the vomit stage, yes. especially when you can't keep the pills down, you'll get through it, but it's a much longer process. It's wrong. One thing I did want to drop in there is just that, especially the mates, they don't keep regular hours, you know, the four hour watches. So don't kick open the door to the bridge and be super chipper. That might be the end of someone's shift, even though it's your breakfast. And don't go slamming those doors on the on the crew deck. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is such a good point and definitely needs to be included. Be mindful of where everybody else on the ship is at as far as their shift goes. I am very chipper. And when I first started working on ships, I would go into the bridge. Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Blah. Blah, 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 blah. And it was a lot for somebody <laughs> to take. <laughs> It's a lot for somebody to take who's been on shift for the last eight hours. They've been driving the boat or something. Usually what the shifts are, like the mates will have a, a four hours on, eight hour off shift. What that means is you've got, say, if you're the 12 to four, you'll have 12 noon until 4 p.m. Like that's your shift. And then you're off from 4 p.m. until midnight. And then you work again from midnight till 4 a.m. And then you're off from 4 a.m. until noon. And so it's good to be mindful of that. Everyone who goes to sea knows full well that things get weird. What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you? All right, so let me set up the scene. We're on the ship. This is while we were in Guam. The ship is docked, so we're, we're dockside, we're tied up, and I was on gangway watch. And that's something the deckhands have to do, the ABs have to do on board to make sure that there's, you know, it's kind of like security watch, right? Make sure that nobody, you know, gets on the ship that's not supposed to be there. So I'm on I'm on watch, gangway watch, with my, my deck partner, Baby June, and we hear all this commotion coming from the top deck. I mean, it's, it's at night also, this is around like 12, 12 or 1230 at night. And we were hearing like this loud, like laughter and yelling and singing. And we're like, what is going on? So I have him, you know, take charge of the gangway and I walk upstairs to, to investigate myself. And <laughs> as I walk upstairs, I'm hearing like yelling, laughter, people are having a good time. And I see Dr. J, you know, over in the corner, kind of like just shaking his head. And I said, what's going on? And you responded, Dr. J, I think, I think I did a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did. I think I might have. I think I think I did a bad thing. I think I made a mistake. And I said, "What happened?" And. Dr. J goes on to explain that uh, that somebody thought it would be a good idea to take, uh, we had just gotten all these new pins, like uh, promotional pins for the ship. So somebody thought it would be a good idea to use this to pierce their ears. And they wanted Dr. J to do the piercing. And and you know what? I got to say, you stepped up to the plate and you did it. You pierced, you pierced this guy's I, to ear. To be fair, I only did it because I'm the only person on the ship who has molecular grade ethanol who could have done it cleanly. It's still not medical stainless steel. It's still like a chatch key. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> totally was. It totally was. <laughs> and so I go, then, then as I walk up into like the party that's going on, all the guys yell, oh, Larkin, do you have any studs? We need earring studs because more people want to do it. And they want earrings that they could actually wear. He started a fad. <laughs> oh, completely. It was so funny. I felt like I was like, like in college or something, like, <laughs> like we're being like A's or something. I said, yes, I've got the earrings. I'm going to go. I ran out and got all my studs. So now I've got like, I'm packing like 15 of these earring studs back up to the bar where uh, we continue to do, I think, how many people did you pierce? It was like six or seven people. Seven. Seven. I'm not particularly proud seven. of that, but yeah, seven. Two of them, I believe, still have the earrings in. It was amazing. The next day, it was like a, a full day kind of walk of shame, but funny with all these guys wearing like little gold studs in their ears that were in the shapes of stars and moons and things that I would wear in my ear. <laughs> it's really great. So that happened, right? So when, when you're at sea, there's a thing called getting your shell back when you cross the equator. It's like a tradition, a sailor tradition. This is a thing that sailors do when they cross the equator. It's getting your shell back. And it's this whole ceremony that happens where somebody dresses up as Poseidon. You get like old food and weird stuff like thrown on you. Like you're, you're basically like hazed and had the ceremony and then you get your shell back in a little certificate saying that you crossed the equator, right? So it's a big deal. It's a big thing in the sailor world. We're going to cross the equator. And I thought to myself, you know, if this guy is so comfortable piercing people, I bet he would give a tattoo. I bet he could do it. So I thought to myself, instead of getting the shell back, like that whole ceremony, I'm going to get him, you know, the, the Hadal scientist to give me a tattoo that represents like the Hadal zone, you know, like the science that we're doing. And so I approached him about this. And of course he was hesitant at first. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of putting it. He said, well, what kind of tattoo? And I said, and I asked him about what are symbols that would represent like the Hadal zone? Is there like a universal symbol for that? And he came back to me with the symbol of Hades. Instantly, I was like, that's the one. It's made that's for a tattoo, it. though, so isn't cool. it? And so I said, that's it. We're going to do that. Uh, maybe we can make like a little janky prison tattoo gun out of a pin. Because, you know, we don't have any We don't have any equipment. We don't have anything on board. And then what happened, it turns out that I wasn't going to Australia. So I wasn't going to be a part of, of the shellback, the whole ceremony. So I had one day. I had one day left with, uh, with Alan when I found out this news. Like I found out the morning and it was like that the next morning that I was leaving. So 24 hours. And we were, we were dockside. So I started calling tattoo two places and asking, which is something that tattoos would, they would never do this, but for some reason we're in Guam. Is there any way that I can bring somebody in and they can give me a tattoo at your shop? And of course the tattooers at first are a little hesitant on this one as well. <laughs> a little hesitant. Uh, a little hesitant, but you know, I try to use my charm over the phone and you know, I told him, I said, Hey, this guy's a doctor. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> So they, they went for it. They went for it. And we ended up going to get a, a tattoo that evening at this little tattoo shop in Guam. And they were they were really nice. And they let Alan give me a tattoo, but not only me, but also uh, one of the, the sub team. I did members, too. I did too. Tattoo. And they were beautiful as well. Yeah. They turned out great. What was interesting is, is, is we only had three hours of leave. So the first hour yeah. went up to a tattoo shop. It, we, they were too busy. So we ended up drinking a couple of beers around the back of a quickie mark, like, totally like teenage did. kids going, are we really going to do this? <laughs> Big list of things not to do before a tattoo. Yeah. The, guy, the guys in the tattoo shop were amazing. They were really good fun. So that took about an hour and a few of us bailed down to the bar, scoofed a couple of beers and then we're back on the ship again. And might I say, I thought I did a very, very beautiful job of it. You did a fantastic 
fantastic job. Very well done. And you know, what's funny about ship people too, is that we, even if you give us just like an hour or three hours, we can make those three hours count. We can like, because I can come back and have like all these adventure stories, but I only went on shore maybe like a few times, but I'll have like a story for each time that I go on shore because it's like such a big deal. There are sometimes I remember that tattoo and I think, oh my God, so there's somebody out there walking around Kentucky somewhere with the, the mark of Hades <laughs> tattooed on a forearm. <laughs> And I smile every time I look at it. And when people ask me about it, I'm like, oh, well, let me tell you the story. I've told this story so many times and it's always a winner. See, that's what going to see is all about. It's not whether or not you pack yes. flip-flops or you have shampoo or not. That's what it's about. That's that's another reason like I wanted to start the YouTube channel and stuff was because I wanted to show scientists in a different light. I think people have this misconception that all scientists are really stuffy and by the book and no fun, but that's not it at all. And I think that old stereotype is backfiring a bit right now. A lot of the mistrust in science is the sort of slightly holier than thou, slightly condescending, you know, non-fun scientists. And I think a little bit of humanity, even though we don't usually communicate in that way, like when we write scientifically, I think a little bit of yes. humanity really bridges that gap and like no we just we know what we're talking about it's okay i think if you sound too authoritative then people rebel against that right right and that's that's another thing that uh during this pandemic because that's when i started the youtube channel one of the things that i wanted to get across was like you said like bringing the human back into into science and also because scientists i know can have problems communicating with the general public because of you know like the words that they're using the general public just doesn't understand and so that adds into like you know that idea of like they're in their ivory tower they're on their pedestal and they're talking down to me with the channel what I'm trying to do is break down uh, complex concepts into easy to digest, fun and uh, entertaining episodes so that people want to watch it and they want to feel connected to these scientists and they want to feel connected to the science because then they're part of that world. They're not on the outside looking in anymore. They're actually a part of it and excited about it. And then that builds trust also. Well said. Absolutely. It, it so needs to be done. So uh, shameless plug, if there's any scientists out there that are looking for a videographer, please come over to MySaltySeaLife.com. You could hire me. What was that address again? MySaltySeaLife.com. Got it. There will absolutely be demand. We'll put links in the show notes. Brilliant. Spot okay. On. I think with that, I'm going to have to say thank you very much, Larkin. That's been absolutely fascinating. Oh my gosh. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you all for having me. I love what you all are doing with this show, bringing funny into science. And uh, it was just, it was a pleasure being on here. Thank you so much. a pressurized version of one of our longer episodes. If you enjoyed that and you would like to hear the full length episode, just match the episode numbers and you'll be able to find the full length version in the feed. Thanks for listening. We'll deep see you next time and I abyss you already. On the ride with the